join me in prayer. Father, thank you for these words, and uh, yeah, help us to receive them, to be good soil for these words of yours, to be fruitful people, full of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the ways and the works of Jesus. May it be so. In his name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, it's nice to, for it to be a little cooler this morning. We're entering a cooler season, of course, and that's good news for our Sundays together. We've had some hot Sunday mornings together, have we not? Our lectionary readings, which are the, the set readings that uh, are for Sundays and for every day, actually, there's daily readings that the lectionary gives us. But for the Sundays, we're, we're going through the Gospel of Luke, the, the good news of Luke. And Luke is a, is a Gospel that pays particular attention to the radical, demanding, compelling, hospitable way of Jesus. Which works out because I've sensed a need to revisit the theme of hospitality, the way we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us to the glory of God. But to go deeper into that way, uh, in those practices, into the, the postures and practices of this, this way of Jesus that's been true of this church, where, where guests again become, or strangers become guests, and guests can become friends in Christ. So, for example, next month we're going to start an Alpha course, which is all about welcoming those into our community who don't know about or aren't living by the good news of God. Welcoming them in, not just into our community, but into that good news and into the kingdom. Another example, in, uh, well, over a while now, some of us have been meeting with this group called Fostering Hope. And they are a group that comes and helps churches come around and support those who are giving foster care in greater Boston. And so they're going to come here actually in a few months and help us imagine how that might look for us here at Church of the Cross. Another example, uh, we're going to be offering a gender and sexuality class next month. We've done this before and we're going to do it again. We've talked about how we did it last time and we're hoping to do it better again this time. Uh, But this is about, well, we're a church that does hold to the historical Christian uh, sexual ethic But we want to be a place that can welcome people into our community and and possibly into that ethic, even with those who don't agree with that. Even with those, especially with those whose whose orientation is really in contradiction to that. I mean, the truth be told, all all of us are in contradiction to it in some way, shape, or form, but some of us feel that much more acutely. So how do we come alongside people like that and be hospitable to them? That's what we want to do in that course. So these are just examples of the ways we're going to be trying to practice, not just talk about and get deeper in understanding, but in our practice with each other in our own community and with those outside of our community. We're going to give that extra attention in these next several months. 
So yeah, if you were here for our, our, our hospitality series last year when we were talking about this, you know that hospitality in the biblical historical sense is a huge category. It's not just about the hospitality industry. It's deep. It's broad. It includes so much of what we see in the life of Jesus. It's about how we welcome and befriend one another and especially the vulnerable amongst us, the neglected, those who are hurting, those who are living without the gospel. We learned about how, how hospitality is about who we share our meals with, who we invite to the table. It's about how we eat at the table with each other. And it's about where we sit at the table. Where you sit matters. We can just think about this in a, a few different ways before we come back to the table where we eat. But if you're at a business meeting, a conference meeting, where you sit at the table matters, right? If you come in, you don't just automatically sit at the head of the table where the screen is and the, and the whiteboard is, unless you're going to be giving the presentation, unless you're calling the shots. You don't sit there. That's for those people. That's reserved for them. You don't sit to the right or to the left of them unless you're an ally of the presenter, right? That's what those spots are for. But if you want to oppose the presenter, where do you sit? The opposite end of the table, right? You're there because you're ready to challenge the speaker, the presenter. Or if you're the presenter and you know that, you might ahead of time ask someone you know to sit there <laughs> and not challenge you, but only say affirming things. Some people do that. Where you sit at the table matters. Where you sit on the tea matters. If you get on the tea, right? And it depends on how empty or full the car is, right? If, uh, and at what time of day. If it's late at night, of course, and the car is totally empty, you can sit anywhere. But if someone gets on who's a bit sketchy and you need to run quick, <laughs> you better sit by the door <laughs> for a quick exit. Or say, you know, the car is in the day and the car is somewhat full, where are you going to sit? Well, you're not going to sit necessarily near the door and all the comings and goings. You're going to go away from the door. Or if, yeah, that's if you're on for a, a long ride. But if you're on a short ride, you don't want to get close to the door again because you don't want to push through people. Sometimes, though, you're just looking for any seat and you're ready to sit down unless there's something really gross on the seat. <laughs> then you're standing. It matters where you sit in life. It matters especially at the dinner table. I remember when I was, uh, back when I was a firefighter and a brand new firefighter, a rookie, and it was dinner time, you know, and I hadn't eaten dinner at this particular fire station, and so I just decided I was going to sit down at a random spot, what I thought was going to be like a rookie spot on the side, and as soon as I sat down, someone called me and said, that's the captain's chair. <laughs> you don't sit there. I quickly got up. I didn't know. I mean, it wasn't even at the end of the table, which you would think. It was this random rookie spot side, side I thought. Uh, know what the table, where people sit, where are the places of honor, where are the lower rookie places. Where you eat at the table matters. In our gospel reading, Jesus offers us a parable that shows us just how important it is where you sit at the table, if you're listening. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there to Luke chapter 14. 
We're looking at verses 1 to 14. Not all the verses, but ones especially in the middle. Luke chapter 14, verses 1 to 14. Parables. Parables are really prominent, of course, in the teaching of Jesus. If you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll notice 35, well, I don't know if you'll add it up. If you're maybe a math nut, you will, but 35% of the teachings of Jesus are in the form of parables in the synoptics. And two-thirds of all parables are actually in the Gospel of Luke. Luke is the one who really presents these parables more than any other. It even says at one point, Jesus didn't do any teaching without parables. What are parables? Well, many have found the words of the modern poet Marianne Moore helpful in describing, I don't think she described these, used these words for parables, but people have co-opted these and used these to describe parables that they are, quote, imaginary gardens with real toads in them. Imaginary gardens with real toads in them. So parables, right, they're fictional uh, made-up stories by Jesus. Jesus was a fiction storyteller. Um, but these were stories and situations that confronted us with real life, with our own life. They cause us to ask, where are we in the story, in the situation, and where should we be? They, they challenge us in that way, usually indirectly. You've got to kind of work with them a bit. This parable that Jesus here is very direct. There's not much guessing you need to do. What's interesting in this parable is that this passage, he's, Jesus is actually at a real meal. And then he offers a parable about a fictional meal, a banquet, a wedding banquet. And what happened was if you were listening, the, the real meal Jesus was at, he noticed that these people, the guests there, they weren't looking for and choosing the lower rookie seats. They were choosing, not by accident, but on purpose, the captain's seat. They were working to promote themselves in this lunch, in this gathering. <clears throat> so in response, Jesus gives us in this parable about an imaginary wedding that he says, you've been invited to. So Jesus, he's just, again, he's really direct in this. He's basically saying, all right, the imaginary garden is the wedding, and you're the toad <laughs> that's been invited to this wedding. And then he goes right into what you as the toad should or shouldn't do. He says, don't take the seat of honor. So for us, that would be, you know, you're at a wedding and there's the table for the bridal party. Yeah, don't go to the table of the bridal party unless you've been invited and asked to be at the bridal party or unless you've been drinking too much. Um, because what's going to happen? Someone's going to come, the host, and they're going to say, look, you don't, you're not supposed to sit there. You've got to sit over here um, at this lower place. So Jesus just says, don't do that, of course. Do the opposite. Always go for the lower seat, right? Because then no one can say to you, look, you've got to move to this other seat, this lower seat. They can only move you higher. What can happen is this host then can come and say, friend, Move on up a little higher. Those are the words you want to hear from your host. Ultimately, those are the words you want to hear from our God. Friend, move on up a little higher. 
There's only one way that happens. It's if you choose the lower seat. This is a parable. Jesus isn't just telling an interesting story. He's not just telling you how to behave at a wedding. He's telling us how to live our life. Our approach to spaces, to eating, to gatherings, to how to relate to people. It becomes apparent at the end of the parable when he says how things are ultimately going to play out for everyone. No exceptions here. All who exalt themselves will be humbled. And all who humble themselves will be exalted. Again, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. Luke, the Gospel of Luke, is full of these surprising reversals of the kingdom, if you're paying attention. So all who in arrogance elevate themselves above others, who choose the seat of honor, who choose to promote themselves in every situation they're in, they are eventually going to be humbled. They're going to be brought low. They're going to be asked in some way, shape, or form, you're going down another seat. And of course, on the opposite end, all who lower themselves, who get low before God and before people, before God in worship and trust, before people in service, all of those eventually are going to hear, friend, move on up a little higher. Therefore, we would do well to always look for the lower seat wherever we go. What is that? We would do well to imitate the way of water. I've mentioned this before. But water never goes up. Water always goes down until it gets to the lowest possible point, giving life all along the way. The way of the water is the way of Jesus, who you hear in, in Philippians. He humbled himself throughout his life to the point of death, to the point of death on a cross, to the lowest possible point. And therefore, it says, God exalted him to the highest place. All who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted is true for everyone, even for Jesus. And we see how Jesus chose this way of humility right here in this passage, in this meal he was at, sharing about this, this parable, sharing this parable. I love how right at the beginning we're told this was the Sabbath. That's a cue to let you know those present who are watching him closely, what they're asking in their minds is, is he going to break the Sabbath or is he going to keep the Sabbath? Little did they know, of course, he was Lord of the Sabbath. He came to fulfill the Sabbath, to show the day's true intent. That's what he was doing when he was healing people on the Sabbath. That's what he was doing when he was forgiving people. All those who came to him, he relieved them of their burdens. That's what should be part of Sabbath rest. That's why we pray for people at the back after communion. That's a time to go to Jesus with people and give him your burdens, turn to him, and let him show you how he relieves you of your burdens. 
Well, it says Jesus was at a meal on the Sabbath day. And what's the first thing we hear about Jesus? I love this. It says immediately he's with this man who has edema, who's got major swelling going on in his body. Jesus, you see here, he wasn't choosing the seat of honor. He wasn't schmoozing with the movers and the shakers of this party. Where was he? He was right there with, his first move was with, to be with this man who was sick. That's where Jesus was. That's beautiful. He chose the lower seat there. He chose to be with those who are sick and to, of course, not just be with those, again, who are vulnerable. These are the kind of people Luke is highlighting who are the ones that people don't want around, the ones people are ignoring. The only reason we pay attention to that now in this day, we think we should care about these people, is because of the influence of Jesus on the people of God and their influence on broader culture. That's the only reason we think it should be something we do. That's not how people used to think back in this day. So you're with people to heal them, to do good with them, these these people who are on the edges But choosing the lower seat might also mean calling people out, which is what what Jesus does here, right? Like what he did with the Pharisees in their ways and they thought about the Sabbath, the way he challenged the the guests that he was with, who were guests with him, and how they were responding to the seats and how he gave them this parable. He's not doing this to get on their good side. (laughs) He's not doing this to choose a seat of honor amongst them. They wouldn't like him for doing this. That's not why he's doing it. He's not doing this to exalt himself over them, to belittle them. He's doing this to free them from a small way of living and to lead them into a bigger way, his way. A way that made this, again, world a better place, has made this world a better place for many people because he introduced this and called his people to do this. And his people responded, to some degree at least, in history. A way that pleases God. A way that, again, welcomes the vulnerable, the neglected, the hurting, the stranger. Our Hebrews passage exhorted us, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Strangers, again, those are people who are sometimes just coming through. Maybe they're just coming through Boston for a short stay. And my guess is there's some people are finding this call here at our church a bit of a challenge. And I think especially of the people here in our body who've been at Church of the Cross for a while. And maybe there's a lot of your friends who aren't here anymore. They moved away. And there's a lot of new people here. There is a lot of new people here, and it's, it's great and it's exciting. But maybe you are having a hard time welcoming them befriending them. Maybe you're weary of doing that, and that's understandable. Maybe you can no longer rely on that youthful enthusiasm of your 20s. (laughs) You need something else. You need the Holy Spirit to come in and renew you, to give you that joy of Jesus again, that joys enjoys welcoming the stranger, knows that joy I do pray for that kind of thing. Whenever I put the water in that baptismal font, 
I pray for that. I pray that we would be renewed in the meaning of our baptism, that the Holy Spirit would share with us another portion of what it means to be in Jesus and in his way, in his way of hospitality, to find joy in that again. That's possible for you if you've been here for a while and you're weary. I'll finish with this. When I was doing my master's at seminary in uh, Vancouver, Canada, I spent a lot of time with international students in a ministry uh, that was part of InterVarsity. And we basically welcomed and befriended international students. We hiked together, we did Bible studies together, we did Christmas camps together at retreat centers. I had such good memories of, of those years, those days. It was really beautiful. And I remember um, during one of those Christmas gatherings, a volunteer who was also an international student, and she was so full of the Holy Spirit. She was so full of the love and the joy of Jesus and this practice, especially this practice of hospitality, of reaching out to people and welcoming them. And she always seemed to find the people in the room that needed something, a word of encouragement, a hug, Something, and it just seemed, whenever she met with somebody afterwards, they were just better for it, somehow. You could see this again and again. And there was a time, there was a bunch of people in the room um, at this Christmas camp, and I remember she came in and she just like kind of stopped and started scanning the room. And I think I asked her, what are you doing? Are you looking for somebody? Can I help you find somebody? She says, well, whenever I come into a space, I always ask God, who here should I sit with? Who needs an encouragement? Who needs some kind of blessing? And it was apparent God answered that prayer for her. She always chose the lower seat in the room. She chose the way of water. She chose that radical, demanding, compelling, hospitable way of Jesus. And it was as if you could see God saying over her life, friend, Move on up a little higher. May that be true of us more and more. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this way of Jesus that has welcomed us into your kingdom and into your way, a hard way. And I do pray especially for us who are finding this way weary, a weary way right now, I pray for a renewal in our hearts, a new strength that's beyond just the strength of our youth, but it's the strength of the joy of the Lord. Pray that for us, and I pray that we would be a people who do welcome one another as Christ welcomes us to the glory of God. Amen.